0: Welcome to the 94th episode of Delica, a podcast between two friends about the latest in society, politics, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan,
1: and I'm Suedian Lee,
0: and this week we are continuing our conversation with Amir Jones, and we're going to continue talking about structural racism and how defunding the police is a really important part of how we move forward in society.
1: This is part of our greater conversation that we began in part one in our last week's episode. Uh, where we talked about Black Lives Matter, and the reaction to George Floyd's murder, as well as Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and countless other African Americans in America. If you haven't listened to part 1 of this conversation, please take a listen, and we hope that our conversation with Amir will not only shed some light into the situation around structural racism and the complicated foundations that underpin a lot of institutions in America, especially as media attention on this issue is dying down, we need to keep talking about it and we need to keep raising our voice in order to make some real change happen.
0: So here's to it.
1: I mean, you brought up the the fun, the fun, police aspect of the movement as well. I think that's also, at least from here in Indonesia, that was one of the things that got a lot of attention. Oh, really? In some communities, right? In the sense that because I think a lot of people who are trying to understand the Black Lives Matter scenario uh, in the States here in Asia might espouse the same views that some people in the States do, where it's like the police is like you can't touch that right like you you. what do you mean by defund the police are you saying like there's going to be like chaos in the, in the streets now like I'm trying to unpack that a little bit because I think that's a lot of a lot of default views on that phrase is that sort of understanding
2: they're right? like
0: okay and a lot of Indonesians are like okay black lives matter but why defund the police right
2: yeah absolutely Mm-hmm. An important conversation that needs to happen right now, um, and I think it's starting to, is what does defunding the police mean? Yeah, And it means different things to different people, depending on what you support, right? Mm-hmm. I don't support fully abolishing police departments. I think that in many situations, police do provide you know safety and security for communities. Um, however, what we need to focus on is how much money police departments are getting in contrast to other services that actually serve the community right Mm -hmm. so a lot of cities and towns police departments are drastically funded so much more than housing services than the education system um different mental health and public health resources and that is where the defund the police conversation started. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of people are saying defund the police, but they don't mean fully defunding the police. They mean, let's take some of the money that is going towards the police department and invest it in different social services so that we don't need more police in the community. Because if you invest housing, in education, in in these services that actually provide opportunities for people to create a sustainable life for themselves, um, you will see crime decrease. You will see uh, less phone calls to 911, to the police officers, when you see, you know, someone with mental health issues yeah. on the street, right? And the acting, you know, kind of, Ah, they, you know, you may think that they're a threat, but really this is just someone on the street who has mental health issues and that needs to be addressed or substance abuse issues and that needs to be addressed. But that does not mean that we need police in that situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think defund the police may have not been the best terminology because it is, it, 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 it makes you think that a lot of people want police departments to be fully abolished. Some people do, a lot of people don't. What a lot of people, again, what they want is take some of the money that's going towards police departments, invest it in other forms of uh, you know, social services right. so that we don't have as many police officers and we don't have as many Black people being killed by police officers. <laughs>
0: Just lessening that interaction level as well. And like, I think what people kind of forget is like just how much police budgets have increased over like the last few decades in a time where like crime in America has like dropped significantly. I've actually had this argument with a friend who was like, you know, like the police are important. And then, you know, like looking at evidence, it's like actually the number of police, it's really questionable when you look at the number of police in particular cities and, like, having defunded it, if crime went down or not. You know, like, increased police presence does not mean a deterrence to crime that people think it provides. Uh, I also
1: think, like, you know, when you actually reprioritize the budget, right, so that you're not just saying, oh, an active police force is the only solution to all of society's problems, you actually will also make the police better, in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you also... uh, get the kind of people who want to be part of the police force and trying uh, to do this job to be aware that this is not the only solution, that I don't have to resort to these measures, that these measures are only for specific situations. And we can actually prevent the kind of things that have, you know, brought this whole thing into attention right now, right? Like the murders that happened. um, That's because of such an over-reliance on police force as the solution to everything.
2: Yeah, I mean, all of of these points are super important in the conversation. And um, I think, like we mentioned, you can look at a budget and and determine what the society is prioritizing, right? So, you know, in a lot of cases, yeah. there's there's so there there's a lot there are a lot of instances when there's so much unnecessary police presence in situations that don't require police, and that's how you end up having a lot of situations where um, black and brown people are harmed by the police. For sure. in, in, in general, we need to continue this conversation about reimagining what role policing takes in our communities. Yeah, we need to be prioritizing um, housing for homeless people. Right. Like, we shouldn't have homeless people on the streets in one in the wealthiest nation in the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is because these decisions are made at the local level. And again, I will like drill this time and time again, like elections is vital to the uh, sustainability of this movement of black Lives matter. Right. And so right. Th- that's, that's definitely a focus, but yeah, we need to, we need to have more conversations about what defund the police actually means.
0: Yeah. It's a, a big topic but it's like when I was filming uh, my last documentary I spent a lot of time in a poor black community and I've never seen so much police presence in my life like it was just everywhere like and all of the people I talked to like all the young black men that were my subjects and eventually became my friends it was like everyone has been stopped like it would just be like you know i saw them next week and they were like oh yeah i got pulled over again like right. that was in the bronx where you're not supposed to be stopped and frisked now and it was just like a constant like oh yeah this happened again they were frustrated obviously like yeah but it was just like such a constant thing and it's just like i think people don't understand the level of over policing in certain communities and how also that the level of like that happening to the same people over time can sometimes, That's you know, trauma right there result in like people being mad. And, you know, this is an accumulation of a life living.
2: Right. Right. And that trauma, that trauma is real for, for so many black people in this nation. And, um, you know, I think something that uh, another glaring reality is that, the the vast majority, um, I don't have the exact numbers, but the vast majority of incarcerated people are incarcerated because of nonviolent crimes, right? Yep. Um, If you look at the segment of those nonviolent crimes that are related to drug um, issues, there there are two sides to that. There's like the substance abuse side, but there are also, you know, the drug dealing side of things. And it's like, Mm -hmm. let's ask the questions of why so many people have substance abuse problems and why so many people resort to selling drugs to create a life for themselves. And it goes back to these structural racist institutions in the U S like people are in those situations because of racism and because of marginalization. Mm -hmm. And I think when we ask those questions, we start to see these quote unquote offenders as victims of the system. And I think that's where a lot of, conversation needs to be at um, in order to actually undo a lot of these things that are preventing Black and Brown people from being able to access opportunity.
0: Like, the war on drugs, for example, right? Like, and what is considered a serious enough cr- like, drug crime, for example, nonviolent drug crime, leads to incarceration of black people. But, like, serious financial crimes, or even rape, like, Brock Turner, or the Wall Street guys who, like, did real tangible damage, are not punished as severely. So, it's like... Mm-hmm. What is considered crime is also like racist, and how punishment is being distributed is racist. And
2: and so you know, all of this is to say like this is why people are are talking about not only defunding the police and reallocating a lot of those resources Mm -hmm. to different social services, but also let's take a look at our prison and uh, our industrial prison complex in this country, right? Mm -hmm. And what does it look like uh, for? Black people in the prison system. Once uh, they're in, how they're treated in the system, which is basically like animals, um, and what it looks like for for them after they they get out of prison. Uh Like you mentioned earlier, you you lose your your right to vote. You lose access um, to a lot of resources. You're unable to obtain jobs because of your criminal record, Um, and that's why you know some you see like ban the box initiatives, mm-hmm. ban the box on job applications that that force you to identify yourself with a criminal record. You know, mm-hmm. from the employer standpoint, people argue, you know, that you don't, you know, you want to have a safer work environment. You don't want to hire an ex-convict. Well, how, how in the world are the people supposed to create a life for themselves after they get out if they can't get hired? Mm-hmm.
0: It's also like, okay, you don't know. But that goes into like, you don't know which white man has raped a person and like, didn't get punished for it. And then that's the person you're letting in versus someone who had different life circumstances. I don't know. It's right.
2: just yeah, exactly. And um, you know, and then that's why you see like recidivism rates that are very high because once people get out of prison, they can't create a life for themselves and they end up falling back into you know the traps that they did originally. And mm-hmm. um I'm just gonna I read um Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson recently and Mm-hmm. He's a career, uh, uh, you could say, civil you know rights criminal justice attorney, and it, he touches on a lot of the death row inmates that he represented, mm-hmm. and he was able to overturn a lot of these wrongful convictions because a lot of these black men that are on death row uh, were wrongly convicted for crimes they didn't commit, mm-hmm. and they're about to be put to death and executed by the state when they were wrongly convicted in the first place. Um, A lot of times it was because of the color of their skin. Like that's just another facet of all of these, all of these uh, racist, you know, systems that we've been talking about, but I definitely recommend reading Just Mercy. It's a great book.
0: Totally. What are some of the other books you'd recommend reading?
2: So I think there, I'm a huge James Baldwin fan. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I finished uh, The Fire next time and it, it kind of, James Baldwin and his perspective and experiences growing up yeah. as a, a poor Black kid in New York. Um, and mm-hmm. it touches on the lived experiences of someone who has confronted these racist systems in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a document 13th is uh, a great documentary. Um, mm-hmm. It talks about the 13th Amendment, which still um, allows slavery to be, to be legal. Um, as long as someone is incarcerated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there you know, there are so many other books that um I think can paint a better picture of these films for people, um like uh, like pe- for people who don't really understand, and I think there there's a lot of documentary watching and reading that the mm-hmm. community needs to do.
1: I think this is definitely a time for all of us to like reflect on ourselves, reflect on our own actions, and see. Not only what we can do to impact change, but also not just change in the capital C sense of the word, but also just like little things that you can do right? to educate yourself. And what I've discovered as well is that this is not going to, this is not a sprint, right? This is going to be a marathon. Mm -hmm. You have to do the little things that you think is painful, it's hard. It's not making as much of a change as I want it to be in order to get to the change that you want to actually make, right? Mm -hmm. Uh. And I think just reminding ourselves of that.
0: And I think it's, like, even for us, it's, like, to constantly learn and be okay with the fact that, like, you may be biased, like, by the way you were brought up. And, like, how do you unlearn that, like, yeah. you know, from the moment when I was, like, 18, 19, when I first learned it, and now when I'm 29, it's I'm still learning about these issues and, like, constantly trying to learn it, like, improve myself and unlearn things or just learn things in general. Like it's not a process where like, okay, I'm done. I'm not, I'm an anti-racist now. Like I'm an ally. It's like, um, (laughs) you're, it's always like you're an aspiring ally and you can always get better and be better.
2: Uh, and, and, and change and progress. They, they don't follow a linear path. Um, they're Mm -hmm. steps forward and steps backward in 2013, for example, I was um, interning for the NAACP in DC mm-hmm. almost exactly seven years ago, standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, um, waiting for the decision in which the, the court rolled back a provision of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that required yeah. states with the most egregious histories of racial discrimination um, to get clearances before they make changes to their their, their voting laws. Um, and like, that's from the more, um, from, from at like the top level, like an example of steps backwards that mm-hmm. happened, but that doesn't mean we didn't take 10 steps forward as well. Right. Okay. So like, in terms of being a part of taking action, um, in this movement, it, it's kind of like what we were saying earlier, like it's, it's easy to get jaded, but you have to hold on to the hope and the optimism and hold on to the victories that are happening um, because there are going to be a lot of losses that, that we experience through this journey.
0: One thing I wanted to mention is, like, I think as Asians and Indonesians, I think it's, like, all the more important to understand, to unlearn all of the different stuff that you have or were brought up with. And, like, to realize that even though you're not white, you're also potentially contributing to racism, you know, in hiring practices and microaggressions, like the stuff we say. Or just, like, I guess, like, the little comments, like, oh, I don't... The things that I hear, for example, like, for, oh, like, why can't yeah. they just be, like, different? Or, like, whatever. It's just, like, calling our community out constantly and continually. And losing friends who are... Well,
1: if they're racist...
0: That's not a loss. It's not a
2: loss. <laughs> if they're racist, it's also... Yeah, it's not a loss. All right. You're also gaining a lot of friends. And right. I, I think... approach. Is, you know, you're calling people out, but it, it's, it's more of like holding the community accountable and and calling the community to mm-hmm. to hold itself to better standards. Right. So I think like despite it being very hard, like the idea is we want everyone to be better off. Like we're not trying to send you out because you're a bad person and you're racist. No, we want you to to unlearn and learn and be a better yeah for society Um, yeah
0: i mean for example i think one thing i need to learn is like i don't find it hard to call people up but i just have that kind of personality but the thing that i need to learn is to do it more tactfully given that it's not my like i'm not a black person i'm not affected by it so i should be more articulate in how i talk about the issue and be like less confrontational and like be more i don't know I have a hard time being compassionate and kind to in this kind of situation but just how to like be like more tactful and like reason things out more I think that's that's my space like I don't think it's fair I think like this is one thing that I don't think has been fair is like people are like telling black people at the time to be kind and compassionate and telling people how to be not racist and I think it's like that's not a fair order Tall like that's a tall order to, yeah. like ask, right? Of- but for allies, yeah. that's I think yeah. where we need to step in and be like, okay, this is how we explain the situation with more education instead of like, you racist!
1: Huh. I mean, it's like what you said, Amir. It's not about like closing the door on people. It's actually opening the door for them to realize like, oh, you can be a much better human being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you realize uh, that th- there's an opportunity for growth here, it's not just about like, single bad guys out, but it's actually really calling into attention the structural racism and the internal racism that has fueled a lot of people's opinions and perspectives and yes. then telling them, you don't have to think this way. You don't have to behave this way. You can actually be better. You can actually change for the better. And, you know, I like we've all grown up with certain prejudices and certain uh, attitudes towards things, and we all change. like, okay. And that's the beauty of being human, right? There's always the next day where you can do something different and you can become someone different. Right. And, and try to keep that momentum alive, and like you said, keep that optimism alive, right? Because this whole thing is not fueled uh, by a desire for like revenge or you know retribution or anything. It's actually, like you said, it's fueled for a desire to make everyone better, to make everyone's lives better, and make you know for a better society. And I think sometimes that is lost in a lot of the media attention and the conversation. And, and it's good to remind people of that, like, what is the ultimate end goal here?
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I think um, that's critical. I think another, you know, caveat to that is there are many different goals that different groups of people are trying to achieve. And yeah. so that's why in, in the media, like you said, sometimes it's very dangerous to go down the route of creating this blanket statement about everyone that's taking action. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many different stakeholders, there are different advocacy groups, there are people advocating for different things. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's all towards the idea of making a more equitable society, improving black communities. But I think there's also, it's important to uh, examine the different goals that are being pursued. Right. um in the larger movement as well.
0: And that's not a bad thing like you know they're having differences um in strategies and goals, you know, it's like There's
1: a lot of things to work on. Exactly. Even for those who have, you know, been keeping up with the Black Lives Matter movement and been keeping up with the news, it's not just about that particular news story, right? Or this particular moment in time. It's actually unpacking all the things that have happened beforehand and all the things that we can do in the future. And I think this conversation is really a nice like, starting point for a lot of us to begin doing the work.
0: Amir, is there anything you kind of want to add or say? Um,
2: I, I think in general, um, this idea of it being a marathon and not a sprint is really important. I think as the media attention starts to die down and people start kind of quote unquote resuming their their normal uh, social media feeds and all of that, it's important that we continue to hold ourselves and our communities to higher standards. Um, You know, all the different forms of action that we mentioned um, throughout this conversation, um, really incorporate that into your your own life Mm -hmm. and really uh, encourage your networks and friends and families to also partake in those actions and continue the energy um, through the marathon, um, rather than looking at this as a sprint or you know just a, a new a new trend, um, and also like support your black friends, you know, and just like you know check in on, on them and and really be that ally that you claim to be.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id.
1: Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free.
0: If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcasts. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica.
1: If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page.
0: You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and now Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at Pod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Tank Steph at s-t-e-p-h-t-a-n-g-k. Thank
1: you again and see you guys next time.
0: Bye!